Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. If uh, anybody looks up the podcast, there's many people who listen to the podcast of the Sunday morning Bible teaching or the Wednesday night Bible teaching. So when you look, at, look that up, uh, you will see the, the title of it. We have a title every week, a different title for the actual message. But when you look it up, you will see rightly dividing the word of truth. That's how it all started. And there are so many people that maybe have gone to church for many, many years, and they, and, I, and I'm not talking about this, this church. I'm talking about many churches, different people that you may know, and they have differing views on a lot of different parts of the Bible. And if somebody can come into a church and say, uh, oh, well, you're, you're just preaching the Word. You know, it's pretty simple. You're just preaching the Word. And whatever I say is right. I can kind of tell that that person doesn't have a lot of experience in churches. You have to be on your guard, whoever you listen to, when it comes to uh, preachers of the Word. So, we have all kinds of denominations. We have all kinds of different beliefs about this one book. And we, we have to rightly divide the Word of Truth to get some of that stuff cleared up. Because there's a lot of misunderstanding. There are a whole lot of just religious type of wording and, and what people believe that just isn't right at all. And we get very confused over a simple term like being saved. And what people on the outside look at people who say they are saved, and then they go out into the world, and they don't live any different than the rest of the world, and then they say, well, that salvation thing, it ain't nothing to it. So we have to be careful that we don't get into the religious words and use them in a way that it's no different. We, we need to be different. We need to be holy, for our God is holy. And we're supposed to be like Him and represent Him well in this world. So rightly dividing the word of truth. And when you, when you, so what we're reading here in Hebrews, we're in 12, and when you get over to what we were reading last week, and I'm going to read it again. Let's go to uh, 18. That's where we started last week. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, 
for they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That is the dispensation or the covenant that is all about law. Moses brought that law down off that mountain, and we are being instructed right here, you don't want to be there. You do not want to approach that mountain and try to keep the law to be saved. If you do, you're going to be stoned to death. The result is death. Thrust through with a dart or stoned. There's no good outcome if you try to go to Mount Sinai for salvation. It has a purpose and a very, very good purpose, but it's to show you that you cannot, no matter how many lifetimes you may live, I'm convinced that's why certain religions have reincarnation as part of their religion, because they know that they cannot get it done in one lifetime. And they need to, they need to come back and maybe get a little closer and a little closer, and it would take lifetime after lifetime. <clears throat> but we don't have enough lifetimes, and we know that we only live once. So don't go to that mountain. <clears throat> but ye are come unto Mount Zion. Now, in the New Testament, you're going to see an S for Zion. In the Old Testament, you would see a Z. Uh, there's many other words that would do the same thing. So pick up on those, on those things. You, you will see different cities named something different in the New Testament if you're using the King James Bible. Uh, different names for people. So we have, to, we have to know those things. Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. That's the dispensation that we're living in today is the church age, the dispensation of grace. Law pointed us to that. It should, it should be pointing us to that. And when we approach Mount Zion unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, we can be part of the church today. Now, any, and, and, and I'm not talking about the messed up church that everybody sees all over the world. Mankind has really messed up the church. I'm talking about the real church, the body of Christ that he's the head of. So Jesus Christ is the head of the real church, not the make-believe church. There's a whole bunch of pretend, let's pretend like we're a church. It's everywhere. But I'm talking about the real church is what the Bible is talking about right here. 
Now, there is this church, the body of Christ, but there's also the nation of Israel that are God's chosen people that you must rightly divide. There is a kingdom that Jesus talked about that was supposed to be set up on the earth. John the Baptist preached about it. John the Baptist had a baptism for repentance so that people would be ready for this kingdom of heaven that would be set up on the earth. Well, that kingdom of heaven was taken by force. The king that was supposed to sit on the throne was captured and nailed to a cross and was killed. Shed all of his blood out for each and every one of us so that the mystery of the church age could come in. Now, men have taken over the kingdom of heaven. Men, and we call it Christendom. And there's all kinds of confusion in it. But we need to look at the mystery of the kingdom of God, the church age that we are able to be participants in right now. Anybody, anywhere in the world, can hear the gospel story, believe on Jesus, and enter into the church and into the kingdom of God at any time up until we get taken out of here. And when that happens, this dispensation of grace, this, this time of being able to believe through faith in Jesus Christ will come to an end. It's, it's not going to last forever. There's a, there's a time period. We're trying to get as many people to get into the kingdom during that time period. Because when it ends, there's going to be this tribulation period that is not going to be very fun to be in. No, none of us want to go through that. And if you are a truly born-again child of God, you won't. You'll be taken out. Now, just that one doctrine right there, that one issue of being taken out of here, you can go to a lot of fine churches. You don't have to travel far from here. And you're going to find people who say, oh, well, you are going to go through some of the tribulation. There's others who say, oh, you're going to go through every bit of the tribulation. Well, why do they have so many different views? Why am I a pre-trib? There's others that are mid, and there's others that are post. Because somebody hasn't rightly divided the Word of God. They're mixing things together, so the post-trib person can go to Scripture and show why he believes what he believes. And I totally understand why he believes what he believes. But they're not looking at another part of Scripture. Why are there people who want to be uh, a replacement for the nation of Israel? They, they will tell you that the church has replaced Israel. We, we mentioned that last week. Well, the reason that they think that is they haven't rightly divided the word of truth. And they, they're taking something that's meant for the nation of Israel and trying to apply it to the church. So there's things that are for the church that aren't for the nation of Israel. There's the nation of Israel, not for the church, back and forth and all that. There's a kingdom that's coming that Jesus talks about that we are looking forward to, but it hasn't happened yet. And 
That's why it's so important to see right here, the church is mentioned right there in 23 of Hebrews 12. Which are written in heaven. Are you in the Lamb's book of life in heaven? Hopefully you are written there. If you truly believe, your name is written in a book in heaven. And you are sealed. No one can take your name out of there. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect or complete, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Remember last week, I talked about how many times New Testament is in Hebrews. And how many times, so you got testament and covenant in in the book of Hebrews. If you have a King James Bible. If you have an ESV or an NIV, a New American Standard, which they claim to be more accurate, you won't see testament in those. You're only going to see covenant. So, rightly dividing, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The new covenant has not actually happened yet, just like Abraham, he, he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was going to a heavenly home, and he lived his whole life like it was a, something that was happening to him at the moment, but yet he was waiting for a future date. There are many things... You, In the Bible, it says that when you believe, you become a new creature. The reality of things is you are still in the same body that you were in before you got a salvation experience, and now all things are new. And so it's you got to believe something that actually hasn't really happened yet physically, but has it happened spiritually, and do you believe it? So you're walking around in a body that's just like everybody else's, that's very able to sin, but are you walking through this life believing what the Word of God says over what you see in yourself? And that's where you get victory in your Christian walk, is believing what Jesus said He'll do for you, and and that's the only way it's going to work for you. You must have a belief in what He can do, not in what you can do. You must believe in in what He has said about you over what you see in yourself. So uh, there was a message we did on a Wednesday night not that long ago, and uh, Joshua, we were talking about Caleb, and the title was, Are You Focused on the Problems or the Promises? That was the name of that message. And too many of us as humans, we are way more inclined to focus on the problems and forget about the promises. And we have examples of people that were mentioned during the joys and concerns time that if they focused on the problems, you couldn't blame them for giving up. But they refused to focus on the problems and they focus on the promises. And that's what gets them through. That's how they can 
have a very tough life, but yet minister to people on a daily basis. They're overcomers. We got to be overcomers, not in our own strength, but in the strength of our shepherd. So with that, let's turn Psalm 23. You may have heard of it. Turn back to Psalm 23. There's probably many here that uh, don't even have to turn there, and they might know every word of it. I'm always scared I'm going to say one word wrong. I always want to look at it and read it out of the Bible. Everybody there? Psalm 23. David wrote this psalm. When did David write it? Was he a young boy out in the pasture looking over all the sheep? I think that he wrote this probably in his later years, and he's looking back over all of his life. When you read Psalm 23, you are going to find the, the secret of a happy life. You're going to see the secret of a happy death. And then you will see the secret of a happy eternity. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means that there will, you don't, there's not things that you need because he is the provider of everything you need. So you're not in want of things. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Notice we have a table right here prepared. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice the first uh, part of this psalm. It says, The Lord, and it's all capital. L-O-R-D. Lord. Now, the, there's... The Lord has, has different names, but the, the, the main name, when you see Lord in all capitals, talking about God the Father in heaven, talking about Jehovah. Jehovah. Now the word Jehovah, that name, it's made up of three different Hebrew words, and you take certain letters out of each word to come up with the name Jehovah, and we're going to break it down, you, you will see a Y, and when you see the name Jehovah, sometimes you'll see it spelled with a Y. There's something on the news not long ago, some Israeli person, and his name was, uh, if you tried to pronounce it the way it's spelled, you would say Yosef, because it's a Y in front, but there, I don't think there's a Y sound in Hebrew. You do have a Y, but it's, it's a J sound. That's the, so when you write it out in English, it's going to have that J in front of it. 
All right, so the word that's, that starts it is, uh, it looks like yehi, it's, it's Y-E-H-I. Now, the meaning of that is he will be, that's future. And then the middle part of the name, it's hove, H-O-V-E. That word means being, that's present. And then the last part of the name, where the last two letters, you get from the word Haya, it's H-A-H-Y-A-H. That means he was. So you take the first three letters out of the first word, and that's Y-E-H, and then the two middle letters out of the middle word, Ove, and then the last two letters of the last word, uh, and you get Jehovah. Future, present, and past. Now in Revelation 1, verse 8, it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, past, present, and future. In the way it's in, in that verse, it's present, past, future. The Almighty. The Lord is a shepherd. Is that what it says? Psalm 23, verse 1. Everybody reading it, looking at it? The Lord is a shepherd. Is that what it says? Uh, the Lord is the shepherd. Is that what it says? It doesn't? The Lord is... Is he? Is he? To many people, this reads, the Lord is a shepherd. They know about him. They know about him. And, and maybe he is the shepherd, the best one of all. But the question to ask yourself is, can you honestly say, the Lord is my shepherd? Now, that's relationship with your Lord. <clears throat> When you're out talking to people about your Lord and Savior, you're evangelizing. You are so happy with your Lord and Savior, you want to tell others about Him. And you will go out and you will say, The Lord is my shepherd. Now notice that David is talking about the Lord in, in, in third person. It, when you're talking to somebody about somebody else, you're speaking to, to the person you're talking to about the other person. That means you're talking third person. You're talking about the person over here. And you see that in the King James Bible when you see he leadeth. The T-H at the end of a word tells you, it, like if you're confused about who's talking to who and, and, and are they talking to them or are they talking to them over there, you can figure it out by leadeth. If it's leadist, S-T, he's talking to the person in front of him. That's second person. So David is talking about the Lord in the third person. So he's talking to us, the reader of this, about the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So he provides everything for me. He maketh, maketh, 
me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. See, sheep, they, they can't stand rushing water. We are the sheep, and we're not very smart. We need a very good shepherd to watch over us and to lead us, and we need to be a people who are willing to follow our shepherd and trust him completely. We need to have that kind of relationship with him, and he, is, he knows what's best. See, we struggle in this world, we struggle in this life, many of us struggle in our Christian walk because we're not looking to the Lord and entering into His rest. When He makes you lie down in green pastures, that is His rest. When He leadeth us, leadeth us to the still waters, beside the still waters, that means we are in a, a place where we can drink without fear and, and live that life-giving water. You know, if we drink of the water that He provides, we'll never thirst again. He restoreth my soul. See, we're lost. We're completely lost without Him. And we need our soul restored. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. It's all about His righteousness, not ours. Now it changes. And four, it changes. So the secret of a happy life on this earth is in those first three verses. We, we uh, know that He is looking out for us. He wants us to enter His rest. He has restored our soul through His righteousness, not ours. And He's done it all for His namesake. Now look at four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I can just see David, he's, he's, he's looking back on his life, and he's thinking about being a boy, and being out there in those pastures, have all those sheep laying down in the green grass, and the still water out in front of him, and he's remembering that, and it's, it's making him think of his Lord who is doing the same for him. And then I, I'm thinking of him going out and being the only one brave enough to walk down into that valley to meet a giant. And he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Notice he says, the shadow of death. You know, a shadow of a mean dog can't bite you. The shadow of a sword cannot cut you and kill you. You are protected from death. And I'm talking about the death forever. Because of the shadow. You can't have a shadow unless you have something real there. And what else do you have to have? Light. If you have darkness, it doesn't matter if you have a substance beside you, you will never see the shadow. We have a great substance in Jesus Christ, and we have the light from the Father shining on Him, and He is our shadow, 
He is the one who took death for us. I will fear no evil. There's no reason to. If you're following the Lord, if you're being guided by your shepherd, you don't have to fear the evil. For thou art with me. Do you really believe it? You know, when we were studying Caleb, he was willing to go into that land, into the promised land, and not take it, uh, take the easy way out. He was 80 years old, or 85 years old at that time, and he, was, he asked Joshua, give me that mountain where the giants are. I'm going up there and I'm taking it. Because the Lord is with me. That's what he said. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now that rod, that rod that the Lord holds, see Moses had a rod and he would raise it up and have victory in battle. He would raise it up and the waters of the Red Sea would split in two and they, were, they had salvation through going through what looked like sure death. And they all went through and came up on the other side, all because of that rod. Now David would have had a rod, he would have... He, he would uh, be able to protect his sheep from the wolves and the lions. And he had a staff where he could, you know, those, the staffs that the shepherds had, had a, were shaped in a hook where if the sheep was down in a ravine, was in a bad place, he could reach down there and he could hook him and pull him back to safety. You know, our Lord has that uh, staff, and we get ourselves in some bad situations sometimes as well because we're not very smart. We're a lot like sheep. We go astray from time to time, and we need our shepherd to pull us back. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, so the Holy Spirit is available to us. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, I heard a story that there was this preacher, and he was on the street, and there was this lady in town that pretty much, she kind of lost it. She just was paranoid of everything, and people just didn't know how to handle her. She thought that there were people following her, and there was never anybody following her. And she came up to the preacher one day and she said, there's people following me. And he, said, he looked back behind her, he said, yep, it's two. Two men are following you. She's like, you see them too? And he said, oh yeah, yeah, they're following you. He said, they're goodness and mercy. It's goodness and mercy following you. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He said, you're in good company. This is awesome. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So she quit worrying about the people who were following her because it was just goodness and mercy. We need to be the same way, and we need to not fear, and we need to believe that we are under the protection of our shepherd. Not a shepherd. Not the shepherd, but our shepherd. We're going to read a little bit out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, starting with verse 16, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion 
of the blood of Christ? It's asking a question there. Now that word communion is a, a Greek word, koinonia, and it means fellowship, it means coming together as one. And when we, when we celebrate communion here on the first Sunday of the month, we need to understand what communion really means, and that it, we are all to be one as the body of Christ. Now, we are different parts of the body, but we're all connected. The unity of the people in this church as being the body of Christ, that's what we need to see. And that's the question that is asking. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye would have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So we need to uh, be very serious about this uh, table that the Lord has set for us. He is the one that is inviting us. And we need to be uh, serious about it. Do not take it lightly. We prayed earlier in the service that everyone would feel welcome to come to the Lord's table and partake of His body and His blood. If you don't feel like uh, you should take it today, you don't, you don't have to. It's totally up to you. But pray that you, you would be um, able to take it in good conscience. Pray to your Lord and Savior. Is he, if He is your shepherd, if you can confidently say, the, the Lord is my shepherd, you need to participate in communion. It's really, it's not something that we could, could say, well, you know what? Certain people don't like it. Certain people don't want to participate, so let's just not do it. I mean, there's people who might, on their calendar, say, oh, it's first Sunday, it's communion Sunday, I'm not going. They could do that. I mean, I know people who've admitted to that in the past. So if we was to take it out so that everybody would feel comfortable, we would be doing a very bad thing. It is extremely important for every Christian to partake of the cup and the bread. Very important. I'm going to read something. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we who come to receive the Holy Communion of the body and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, can come only because of His 
great love for us. For although we are completely undeserving of His love, yet in order to raise us from the darkness of death to everlasting life as God's sons and daughters, our Savior, Jesus Christ, humbled Himself to share our life and to die for us on the cross. In remembrance of His death and as a pledge of His love, Jesus instituted His holy sacrament, which we are now to share. But those who would eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord must examine themselves. They must come with a repentant heart and steadfast faith. Above all, they must give thanks to God for His love toward us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come to you this morning admitting our unworthiness to partake of this holy meal. But, with confidence, sincerity, truth, and joy, we come to this supper through the sacred blood of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We praise you for your mercy and grace and ask you through this bread and cup to commune with us now as we commune with you and one another. Amen.